listening to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Goal Line Extended in our 2021 PLL College Draft Special. Today is Monday, April 26th, and I'm your host, Ryan Holtz. Was glad that you could join us as we look ahead to the PLL College Draft tonight, Monday night at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 Pacific on Peacock and the NBC Sports Network following the conclusion of the Carolina Hurricanes and the Dallas Stars. Today, we have a big show planned as we continue to get you set for tonight's draft. Lacrosse Flash Editor-in-Chief Austin Owens will be joining me in a moment as we continue to get you set for everything that you need to know ahead of one of the most loaded drafts in pro lacrosse history. You might be wondering how many picks your team has, maybe who or maybe what might your team be targeting as this draft unfolds. We will be getting to all of that momentarily, as well as taking a quick look at my mock draft, which if you haven't already gotten a chance to see it on the Lacrosse Flash website, it includes a few trades, so make sure to check it out at lacrosseflash.com and Austin Owens will be joining me soon to talk about that, so hang tight. After that, Atlas head coach Ben Rubier will be joining me ahead of his selection at the top of the draft. First overall, he also picks three more times early on, once at the end of round one and twice again at the beginning of round two. Four picks in those first 11 selections as Coach Rubier rebuilds and retools his roster following a handful of notable offseason moves. He'll be joining us soon. And then Austin will be back with us as we present our 2021 Flash College Draft mock draft selections all made by our flash team and we'll give our final thoughts ahead of tonight's draft and the full flash mock is also available on lacrosseflash.com as well as a handful of other other articles as we gear up for tonight follow goal on extended on instagram and twitter at gl extended and for all the latest news and updates on the college draft follow lacrosse flash on instagram and twitter as i welcome austin owens to our gle college draft special austin what's going on man ryan how are we today buddy Doing great. Very excited here as we have the college draft tonight, 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific. Very late uh, late night, I'm expecting, for us uh, here on the East Coast. But a big weekend in college lacrosse this past weekend. I do want to mention we will be spending a lot of time on Friday's show looking back at this past weekend. And then ahead to this weekend as some of the top teams in the country wrap up their 2021 regular season campaigns. But some of the top players in the country highlighted in what will be their final games before the draft. Sowers shined in Duke's win, comeback win, I should say, Thursday night. Bernhardt, although likely to fall tonight, he scored four goals to help keep Maryland undefeated heading into the Big Ten tournament. And then Ryan Tierney, possibly the biggest benefactor of this 2021 season, he was only held to a goal in Hofstra's loss to Drexel. But of all of the performances this week, whose did you have as the biggest impact on where they get drafted tonight? I think when you look at the college draft, it has to be Michael Sowers. Um, and I say that because we talk about going into this draft as him needing to have a big performance against Notre Dame in order to really catapult him into that top spot. Excuse me. Um, I think Jared Bernhardt's uh, announcement that he was going to go back and play football at Fair State really sort of helped him in that because I think the narrative going into this week was it's either going to be Sowers or Bernhardt, depending on how they play. If Bernhardt has, I mean, he would have had to have a monumental game, I think, to be first overall. But it's the PLL who knows what he really needed to do in order to get that first overall pick. Ben Rubio could have picked him if he had a three-point game against um, – I'm drawing a blank on who they played this weekend. Uh, oh, God. Johns Hopkins. Thank you, Johns Hopkins. It's If it's not Rutgers, I'm like – I'm a little mixed up with that Big Ten because it's kind of like teams that have just been a punching bag for Rutgers in Maryland. Sorry, I'll do respect to the Big Ten. But um, when you look at it, I mean – 
Sowers went out and had a massive game, not a massive game, but a massive game uh, in the ACC and how tight checking it is there. And obviously he had a couple big, uh, big points for Duke there in the OT victory. So I think when you look at it, he, his performance was the biggest of the weekend, but you could look at a number of guys and say they could have risen or dropped their draft stock based on their performances. Cause those guys that are in the third or fourth round, I mean, their their performance this weekend was just as important because NCAA coaches, or sorry, PLO coaches are watching and seeing, hey, maybe this is a guy that can come in on my team and at least give a chance to the training camp and see what happens. So Sowers is the one for me. Obviously, Jeff Teat is the other first overall first overall um, contender is what I'm trying to say, Ryan. Um, but he, obviously, he doesn't have any games to play, so... Sowers is the guy for me. I think he had a good performance against Notre Dame, and he really bounced back after, you know, the one-point performance was a big standout point for everybody with, like, oh, is Sowers supposed to be the first overall pick? Should he be the guy? And I think he really proved against uh, Notre Dame that he he is that guy. Sowers and Bernhardt, it looked like those were the two guys we were watching for that first overall pick pretty much all spring, and then we get this news on Thursday that he's not going to be uh, playing – lacrosse this summer he's gonna be pursuing uh probably d2 football in the fall so now right away jeff t jumps into this conversation it seems like jeff t is on everybody's uh, number one for everybody on, on all their mock drafts so we're gonna see tonight as this draft unfolds but all of these guys drafts tonight will continue their collegiate careers into the near future as we head into may hopefully we'll see uh, a few of these guys over the next few weekends and hopefully come Memorial day weekend ahead of the PLO season, which begins Friday, June 4th, between the Redwoods and the expansion Cannons. All right, we're going to go team by team in the order of the first round. Some notes to consider as this draft transpires. We're going to start with the Alice at one. They also pick at 8, 10, and 11, so we'll touch on that as well. Coach Rubier will be joining the show soon, so we'll get a chance to hear what he has to say regarding these selections. But we know what it looks like there at one. Sours or tea? Make your pick. I don't think you go wrong with either of them. However, I like Sowers. I know that you do as well. Looking at those other three picks, though, probably a midfielder or two, and then likely a pull if one of those top three between Connors, Giles, Harris, or Keelty. If one of those three are available, I would like, or I would, I, I could see Rubier grabbing one of those. Who are some names that you like that could be available in the middle part of that first round or the, of those first two rounds? Oh, it's tough because it's sort of, it's one of those things where the class is so top heavy with attackmen and midfielders but there's also obviously your jt giles harris's your jack keelty's your jared connor's that are mixed in that are going to throw some wrenches in and then td ryan tarafenko peter dearth could jump up if you really want to put him in the mix um i'm sure i'm forgetting a number of names kyle gallagher's a name that's been thrown out from notre dame that's uh, a guy that could possibly go in that middle of the second round there are certainly a couple teams that if they miss out on td are going to be looking at him as sort of a platoon guy, maybe even as their own starter, who knows? Um, but the guys I would look at for Atlas, I mean, it it's sort of a wait and see thing. I think if you're Rubio, it's you go and get maybe a guy like Connor Kirst. That would be a really nice piece. I think Trey LeClaire is a guy to look at. I think out of the box, he could be your Connor Buschek replacement where he's a guy that can get downhill. He's got, a, he's like 6'2", 215, something around there already. So he's a built, pro ready body and, I, and he's obviously got one of the best shots in this entire class you'd put him up there with mac o'keefe obviously but he can sting it from up top so i think he's a two-point threat um and then when you look at it i mean do you go out and get a ryan tierney do you go uh jump up and get a gibson smith maybe when all the other poles are down it's sort of up in the air when it's atlas i mean i think the only things you really need at this point are more depth i think they've you you've got your guy at number one obviously whether it's teeter sours it doesn't matter you've got your guy 
So then you start building out just sort of what you need around them. You've got your Brian Costabiles, your uh, Brent Adams, you got your Romar Dennis's at midfield. So you get a nice compliment piece with that. That's great. Their attack unit's fine. You could use probably another pole, and I think they would do well to get a backup goalie to sort of push Jack and Cannon this year. Um, but that's not a first round thing. That's probably like a third or fourth with a maybe a Drake Porter or a, a Mike Adler, one of those guys. But I think you can go a number of ways and not really go wrong if you're Atlas. You just have to sort of find the right guy that you think fits your system if you're Rubior with those first, I think it's four picks in the first 11. So you, you've got to hit on those picks because if you do it wrong, then you've set yourself back. And Coach Rubior knows that. He's going to make the right picks and get the right guys for the situation. You could argue that this first pick is important, but really eight, 10 and 11, these three picks are going to be very, very important for the future of this team, obviously trying to build around whoever that number one overall pick is. In my mock draft specifically, I have Sowers going first, and then after a few trades happen that we'll talk about in a moment, Connor Kirst end up, ends up falling to eight, and then Trey LeClaire at 10, and then the top three polls in this draft, they're all off the board before the Atlas pick at eight, so you brought up his name before. Rubier goes with Georgetown defenseman Gibson Smith, but look for him to target Notre Dame's Jack Keelty or Duke's JT Giles-Harris there at eight, and the Atlas are also back on the clock at the top of round three. But let's move on to the Water Dogs at two. It seems like they'll get whoever the Atlas don't take, either Sowers or T, and then they don't have a selection in the second round following the Ryan Brown trade. So I decided to make things a little interesting in my in uh, my mock draft. So you can check it out, the full thing, on lacrosseflash.com. But I have the Water Dogs trading down to five and getting LSM Jared Connors, who is, in my opinion, not just the best pull, but the best player in this draft. We also learned from Coach Copeland last week that Noah Richard won't be available this summer due to military obligations. So Connor's a good guy to pair with Ryland Reese, who we had on the show a few weeks ago. And then the Water Dogs getting back into the second round to uh, target an attackman with the Archers pick at 13. They'll lose that opportunity at Sowers or Teeth there at two. So the Archers, then the Archers moving up to number two to get TD Erland. And I'd imagine more would be involved in that trade package as well. We heard Coach Copeland and Coach Bates talk a little bit about that last week but Austin we've talked a little bit about a trade like this as well it could also apply to Chrome who select third overall but the significance being placed on the Water Dogs getting back into the second round after the Ryan Brown trade unlikely that we see a trade like this happen but your thoughts on Chris Bates possibly moving his team up in round one to secure TD and Andy Copeland getting back into the second round in a pick at five you know I think it's a win for both teams I think when it comes to Andy Copeland I think the we've talked to coach Copeland obviously you and I both for the show and my story that I wrote on him before the expansion draft and what he told me back when the expansion draft was happening is that they were for sure going attack that muddies a bit now because Jared Bernhardt's not there but if you get a Michael Sowers or a Jeff Teat I don't know if you move out of that pick it's like coach Copeland said to you on GLE it would take a massive haul in order to get him and rightfully so those two are generational talents Jeff Teed, especially, I know I can speak from experience being from Canada, that that guy is a special, special player. Um, but I mean, it's possible. We've seen crazier things, honestly. Um, I think if there is a trade to be made, the one you proposed is a very good one. Um, I think that the Archers, if we want to touch on them for a sec, they obviously lost Brendan Fowler to expansion. They had sort of that dual uh, face-off platoon last year. So I think Adding TD is sort of adding your alpha. Stephen Kelly's a good face-off guy, but you're not going to play him over TD. <laughs> Let's be fair to him, unfortunately, that TD is the face-off king in the NCAA, and it's just, it is what it is. Um, and the Water Dogs, I mean, you lose Brody Maryland, you bring in Jared Connors, and you, you hear Dan Arestia say 
he's a Michael Earhart type player. And it's like, you're not passing on that. And you know what? It might be a bit of a stretch to take him at two. It's, I don't think any player that's in this top five is really a stretch to be taken at two. Cause like I said, it's, it's lacrosse. It's, it's a, it's a crazy world. It's, I've seen crazier things happen, but I think it, it helps both teams. Um, it just depends on whether the water dogs think they can either trade back and still get a guy. Maybe it's, maybe it's a Ryan Tierney. Maybe it's somebody else that they think can sort of run that offense. They sort of need a, a guy that can be that guy from X and facilitate a little bit. But you're also not complaining if you have Ryland Reese and Jared Connors running transition for your team. So it's it's a bad sorry it's a good position to be in if you're the Water Dogs because do I take this generational attackman or do I take this guy that's being compared to the best long stick midfielder in the league? It, decisions, decisions. It sounds like an awful time for Andy Copeland right now, to be honest. Get back into the second round is what I'm thinking, and then Jake Caraway, Ryan Tierney possibly yeah. available there at 13. So you miss out on Sowers or T, but you get Jared Connors, you get one of those two attackmen and Caraway or Tierney, and then I'm thinking there's got you're probably getting a pick in next year's draft. If you look at kind of how NFL drafts and NHL drafts are kind of all constructed, NBA drafts, you're probably getting a first or second round pick in next year's college draft, and you're I'm thinking you're even probably getting another player. I'm looking up in the board. I was thinking maybe an LSM or another short stick midi. Latrell Harris was a name that came to mind for me. Maybe Stephen Kelly being that maybe Stephen Kelly being that the water dogs need another face-off specialist to go with Withers. My so guy Latrell Harris. We can't drop we can't wait to drop his name once an episode. I think absolutely, it's in the clause. Absolutely. Gotta make sure we drop Latrell Harris' name every time we have this show. Expect Copeland, though, in my opinion. I'm thinking he stays at two and gets either T or Sowers. Bates will most likely get to choose between Jaron Connors, Ryan Tarafenko, Connor Curse, whoever he likes best there at five, but a cool hypothetical to, to uh, consider as we head into tonight's draft. Chrome selects third overall, and with my proposed trade there at two, either Jeff T or Michael Sowers would fall to Coach Sudan. I'd expect him to jump on that if it presents itself, but he could add a defenseman here at three. He'll be able to choose the one that he likes best. If he does, he could go with Tarafenko, who could then serve as his backup faceoff specialist to Connor, uh, to Connor Farrell. So a few different routes that Coach Sudan could go with here as well as in the second round at 12. And then Coach St. Laurent, in the Redwoods select fourth overall, likely to be TD Erlen if that proposed trade by the Archers does not happen. But if it were to, if that hypothetical were to play out, I like Notre Dame's Jack Keelty here be, to uh, become the sixth Notre Dame pull on this defense. But again, expect TD to go here at four. And without that trade, that moved the Archers up to two. Expect Coach Bates, like I said before, to take whoever he thinks is the best player at five, especially in the midfield, whether that is Connors to play alongside Scott Rattler for one of those midfielders in Connor Kirst or Trey LeClaire. But let's look at the chaos at six. Andy Towers also has selections at the end of round two at 14 and 15, and again twice in round three at 19 and 22 before his pick towards the end of the draft. Based on how we expect the early parts of the draft to go, we could see Jared Connors available, maybe one of those other two polls and Giles Harris or Kielty, possibly Ryan Tarafenko. There's a backup to Mike Adler. What do you think Coach Towers does with this pick at six? Oh, it's it's tough. Um, I think I, I think we got the wrong Adler. I think Adler, it's Max Adler, another Canadian, I should say. Oh yeah, I mean that's the issue though is is Jeff Teets off the board. So I don't know if you you definitely don't stretch to take the next guy with a Canadian passport, and that's not for a while. I sort of I sort of forget that I, you could go Trey Leclerc, but I don't think Trey Leclerc at six is really the route you need to go. I think there are too many guys that are more game changing talent, and I don't want to try and slag Trey LeClaire or anything like that. He's obviously a talent, but 
if you have a chance to take a Jared Connors or a JT Giles Harris and a guy that can impact, I, I, I sort of am the, of the mind that you build from the back out. So I would go with a JT Giles Harris or a Jack Keelty or a Jared Connors over a Trey LeClaire, who's a step down threat and a two point threat, but I'm not Andy Towers. So it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what AT thinks. So do you go with a guy that's, you know, one of the best defenders in the league? Um, it's tough because they have, from what Coach Tower said, Johnny Serdic and Matt Reese should be back this year. So do you go defense? Those guys might not be available the whole year. I know uh, Reese wasn't available the whole way through, I believe, in 2019. So it, it's tough. You sort of want to build out depth because you're not sure with, especially with chaos, the border restrictions. Most of these guys are presumably going to be living in the U.S., but you don't know how their situations are going to go or their week to week if they're going to be able to make the trip. So building at the depth for every team is important. And I think that's what towers is going to do with the chaos picks, but you know, Tarafenko would be a fun one. I, I think that's, he's sort of a towers guy and he also plays box. He got drafted or he's going to play box. I should say he got drafted by the Halifax Thunderbirds. So towers, a big, uh, big box guy. And T- Tarafenko is just that do it all player. I mean, goes out. And when you face off, can score, you score a hat trick in one of the last games he played, like he's a stud. So it's best player available, I think, for chaos. I think you can go more into there, there's gonna be some Canadians at the back end of the draft that Towers can sort of cover his MO with. So I think you just grabbed the best guy on the board here at uh, six. The chaos select again at 14 and 15. Look for uh, Towers to get a pull if he doesn't get one at six, and then maybe an attackment or a face-off specialist if he doesn't land Tarafenko to be his primary backup the defending champs they select seventh overall i wouldn't exactly say they need anything going into 2021 but i would argue that adding depth is something that coach stagnita would like to do as they have 24 players on the active roster i'd also argue that both of these selections uh these two selections at seven and at 16 shouldn't just make the final 25 man roster but also be competing for game roster spots come the season let's hope for the sake of the rest of the league that jared connors doesn't fall him and mike Earhart. Uh, I mean, the comparisons, Jared Connors to Mike Earhart, they would make a very impressive deal as the Whipsnakes look to repeat for a second time. But one of the other two poles could fall, maybe one of the midfielders. And then I have Coach Stagnita grabbing Mac O'Keefe, regardless of whether they select at seven or as I have them in my mock draft, picking at nine. I'll explain that in a second. But Coach Stagnita here at seven, adding who he and his staff thinks is the best player, seems like the the likely route in order to add depth, whether that be offensively or defensively, the defending champs select at seven. And then again, at the end of round two at 16, look for Stagnita to target Maryland defenseman Nick Grill if he's available, another Maryland pull to add there down low. And then the Atlas have the last selection of round one at eight. We talked about that earlier. So let's move on to the Cannons at nine at the top of round two. It looks like defenseman Curtis Corley won't be available this summer. He was placed on the holdout list following the entry draft. So a defenseman looks like the likely Target In my mock draft, the proposed trade to move the Archers up to two sees the Redwoods and Waterdogs take polls at four and five, leaving Tara Fenkel to the chaos at six. Giles Harris available at seven. So I have Coach Quirk moving up two spots while also setting the first pick of round four to the Whipsnakes to get JT. I could also see Coach Quirk going with a midfielder that can play in the middle of the field after trading away Brent Adams or instead moving up with the Whipsnakes at seven. I could see a similar deal that involves the chaos selection at six and attackman. Miles Thompson joining his brother with the Cannons. But regardless, the Cannons are already at 30 players. The limit is 35 or uh, 25, excuse me, ahead of the season. So without much roster space here to work with, expect Quirk to try to get the guy he wants, which is why I have him moving up two spots to get Giles Harris. But at the top of round two, as of right now, the buffer 
that separates the Atlas three selections. What do you think Kirk does here with his roster already maxed out? Oh, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's going to be some decisions to be made and it's obviously those guys that he selected in the expansion draft, along with the slew of waiver pickups he made after the entry. Most, not most of those guys, I should say some of those guys are going to be training camp bodies and likely they're not going to play or they're going to be cut. Unfortunately, not all of them, but a couple of them. And that's just the nature of how competitive the league is right now. But I think you only have two picks when you're quirk. So I believe two picks with the cannon. So um, you, you really don't need much. You need a defender. You, you set it off the top. They, they have Resetti, they've got Brody Merrill, they've got Jake Pulver. Uh, I'm sorry to anybody else that I'm drawing a blank on at the top and of my head. Entry draft and waiver, waiver wire pickups. Yeah, the entry draft and waiver wire pickups as well. Um, but they they need that guy. They need a Giles Harris. They need a Keelty. They need a top matchup defender. And I mean, Brody Merrill can fill that spot if you really need him to, but do, do you really want a 38, 39 year old Brody Merrill going one-on-one with Jordan Wolf behind the net. Like, eh, it's not really Brody's role nowadays. Um, I, I like him as, you know, you know, Brody, he's, he's that slide option. He's that quick transition out. He's that veteran savvy. He's that leadership. That's what he's there for. He's not there to be your Tucker Durkin or your uh, Chris Sabier or Matt Dunn or any of those guys. Um, the question is whether they're going to be there, those top guys. Like you said, if if this top of the draft skews defensive, then the Cannons, do you reach for a guy? I don't know if reach is the right word for it, but do you think that a Gibson Smith is the guy that can really shut it down for you? It depends on what Coach Quirk thinks. Um, but, yeah, the, that's their main need. Um, just racking off the top of my head, maybe they can use another midfielder to replace Brent Adams. That would be sort of my next go-to, and... Uh, I definitely don't need a face-off guy, so we won't even go there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's a number of ways they could go if you're the Cannons. It's sort of – it'll be interesting to see what Coach Quirk does because in the MLL, he he had some very interesting draft classes, obviously. Uh, I believe he took Sowers and Teat in the last, uh, the last draft in order to see if they would show up. They didn't, obviously, but he, he doesn't mind taking a risk in order to grab a guy. So maybe he's the guy that grabs Jared Bernhardt later in the draft. You never really know. Hey, top of the uh, top of the fourth round. We'll see if that's a possibility there. And I'm thinking if, if James Tagnita doesn't get to him already with the whip snakes, that's I'm everyone's thinking nightmare. The cannons at the top of the fourth round, or the whip snakes at the end of round three. So yeah, those are two options there for Jared Bernhardt. With uh, with these two picks that he has going into this draft, Coach Quirk and the Cannons set to come out on Monday night with 32 players. He'll need to get down to 25 at some point before June 4. We're not entirely sure yet what that day is, but we'll be on the lookout and pass that information along when we hear about it. Another thing that we'll be monitoring ahead of Friday is the deadline of the waiver wire in the offseason trade window. It was originally scheduled for this Friday, April 30, but the league sent a link on Twitter over the weekend, and when you click that link, it says May 15, although it still says April 30 when you look on a desktop or laptop through the website. So another thing that we will be monitoring ahead of the season, and we'll let you know when we find out about it as the league's uh, teams will need to get their rosters down to 25 players as we get closer to training camp 
and the season. But first, the college draft, and it looks like most of these selections early in the first and second rounds should have their names on one of those final rosters going into the season, but we will see. Austin, before I let you go and welcome in Coach Ben Rubier, for everyone watching and listening, Austin will be back with me to go over our flash mock draft after Coach Rubier, so make sure to stick around for that. But some notable players, how far do we think we see them fall tonight? Let's start with Jared Bernhardt, a lock and finalist for the Tuarton Award. We just talked about him now, and the favorite as Maryland wrapped up their season this past weekend. This news came out last week that he's playing football this fall, so he won't be uh, playing lacrosse this summer how far do we think he falls it's tough man because it's like in the pll you sort of you've been sort of hit by this once with pat spencer where he he got selected at first overall mind you got selected by the archers in the inaugural draft but he, he's never played a pll game and it's been it's there in their third year now he's playing in germany i believe for basketball so it's a little bit of that of like could jared bernhardt go to Fair State and then go play football in Europe, go play football in the CFL, go do one of those things. I know the XFL is coming back. Could he do one of those things? Maybe. Maybe he could just be trying to, like, this is something I've dreamed of doing, playing college football, and it's a one-and-done year, and he comes back and plays for whatever team selects him a year later. But I think it's going to scare a couple teams off. I think, obviously, the team that makes the most sense to take a take a chance is the Whipsnakes because they, they don't need him as is. I'll do respect to Jared Bernhardt, but they could go out and not even field him and still probably win the championship. And so stupidly stacked they are. Um, I think it's them or the cannons. Uh, and I think you probably are looking at the third or fourth round. I think I've seen some people that right after the announcement were sort of like, maybe the whip snakes take a chance on them with their last pick. And I believe it's their last pick in the second. It could happen. It could not. Uh, it's, it depends on, it's sort of that thing where it's like, if a coach thinks sort of has that gut feeling where they think, that somebody's going to jump up and take him now, then you take a chance and you take him in that position. But it, it just sort of depends on how the draft shakes out. I think does somebody take a jump at him? I think you have to be sort of assured that he will play in the PLL. And I think you can sort of get a gauge from his brothers uh, as to whether he'll do it. So maybe coach Sudan goes to uh, Jesse and asks him, maybe coach Dagnita goes to Jake and asks him like, Hey, what's Jared doing after this football season at fair state? And that gives you more of a comfortability to take him in that pick. That is the best insider, having having the brother of the guy that you're that you're looking to draft, looking to bring onto your team. So that is a good probably way of going about it, knowing that we he uh, won't be available this season, but probably in the long term. Let's talk about Ryan Tierney. He's probably benefited the most from the 2021 season. Looks like he'll go somewhere in the second round. And then Jake Carraway, I have him in the middle of the second round. I think most people do as well, but Paul Carter has him going fifth overall to the Archers. How far could you see them falling or for Callaway? How, how early could you see him going off the board? Oh, it's tough. Those, those guys are all sort of up in the air for me. It's, it's kind of like I've seen Tierney, obviously, is it like five Caraway I've seen up at like seven in some mocks. And then you see them down near the end of the second round another one. So it's, I think it's preference comes down to it. I think Caraway has been fantastic for Georgetown. Um, he's a big body he can do everything as far as I've seen. He can step down. He can shoot on the run. He can dodge. He can hit from two point. And Tierney's been a highlight factory this season. I mean, you can't argue against him jumping up the board uh, for Hofstra this year. So <laughs> they're they're the biggest anomalies for me in this draft, partly because I haven't seen a lot on them. They don't quite get the publicity. Tierney less so, but Caraway especially, not quite the publicity that like a Sowers or more of those top five guys get. But I mean do you take a Ryan Tierney? He can do a lot of things. I think both guys could run out of the box or play in your attack unit. So they check a lot of boxes. So it sort of depends on 
where you see them falling on your board. And I think it's a team's preference. So you could see something very exciting happening tonight in the draft. You really, <laughs> it's the beauty of drafts. You really don't know what's going to happen. I could, I could say that Jake, Jake Haraway could go in the top five and he can go in the fourth round for all I know. Like nobody really knows. How I think that's going to work, it all depends on when the first poll goes. So if the Chrome yeah. take JT Giles-Harris, expect the Archers or the Chaos or the Whipsnakes to probably end up taking a poll uh, just because obviously be the, the, sure. the dominoes are going to start falling. If yeah. Chrome passes on Giles-Harris and let's say the Archers pass on Jared Connors, then all three of those polls available at yeah. six. I would imagine that it's Tara Fenko and probably Connor Kirst or Trey LeClaire there at, at five. So with all three of those polls available, the offensive talent now shrunk as you get to the middle of the draft there with the Atlas and with the Chrome there at the top of the second. So I'm thinking by then, it, that will all play itself out, how we how we see those polls go off the board in terms of how early we see Tierney or Caraway. I'm thinking neither of them make it out of the second round, though. So we will see as, as the draft unfolds. Last one, to Hoke and Nanticoke, his season cut short as a result of the University of Albany men's lacrosse team dismissing him from the uh, program. But we still like the idea of him getting drafted tonight. How far do you see him sliding? Tahoka is a tough one, and I, you honestly, I hate to see it. Oh, any any box lacrosse fan sort of hates this. Any any lacrosse fan in general hates to see it because you know what Tahoka brings to the table. He is a bull out there. He runs grown men over, and then he finishes with a between the legs top corner like he's prime John Grant Jr. Like the guy's an absolute animal. Obviously, I think you sort of have to tiptoe around this because of his dismissal. But I think when you look at it, I don't, um, I don't know the specifics of what happened. I'm not going to act like I do. Uh, the, the thing to me is I think Tohoka sort of fits in with a couple of guys and a couple of teams. And I think the teams that fit him best are the guys that he's played with with the Iroquois Nationals. Your Lyle Thompson, your Randy Stotts, your Miles Thompson, sort of those guys that he's been around and he's battled with at the pro levels that he respects. And I'm not saying he, could, he couldn't go into an Atlas and be fine. He's fine anywhere. Like, I think this is just sort of a situation where once he goes pro, he sort of learned his mistake and he'll be fine. But I think if you put him in a locker room with a Lyle or a Randy, you'll get more out of him because that's a guy that he respects in that locker room and that's a guy that he'll listen to more so than maybe a guy that he's never met before. Even like a Connor Fields, that would be a fun one to watch with the Archers because obviously they've been teammates with Albany. So I think Tahoka slides because I don't know if it's necessarily because of just how skilled the attack class is this year and he has less of a resume to show than the other guys um, or if it's just maybe maybe his situation sort of makes people shy away a bit which is unfortunate because I can't I can't even imagine a situation where he seems like he's going to end up on the whip snakes and that'll just be a complete joke like that's what I'm sort of worried about with the whip snakes is like you're going to get a guy in x position and he's going to be a stud regardless because Jim Stagnit is a wizard so they're gonna end up taking they're going to end up landing like Mac O'Keefe or Connor Curse there in the first round. They're going to get Nick Grill there in the second round. Then I'm calling Jared Bernhardt at the end of round three to hope yeah. they might not have a fourth round pick. I don't believe the Whipsnakes have a fourth round pick. So I was about to call Bernhardt, then Tohoka, or Tohoka, then Bernhardt. I guess they can only get one of them, though, because the, the uh, Redwoods do own the fourth round selection for the Whipsnakes. So. They're probably going to get Jared Burhardt though, to Hokanansko is what we're saying there, the Whip Snakes, yeah. uh, at the end of round three. We're expecting someone to take a shot into Hoka sometime, probably in that third or fourth round, uh, mm -hmm. so expecting him to get grabbed. Austin, appreciate you joining me on our college draft special as we get set for this draft. For everyone watching and listening, Austin will be back with me to look at our Flash team mock draft ahead, uh, after I talk to Atlas head coach Ben Rubier, which we'll be throwing to right after this break. So don't go anywhere. Coach Ben Rubier will be on the other side.
listening to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Welcome back to the show. You are watching or listening to Goal Line Extended PLO College Draft Special on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. A big day today as the PLO will be welcoming 32 new athletes into the league by way of the college draft, which goes down tonight at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on Peacock. And joining us next to look ahead to tonight's draft is the head coach that owns the draft's first overall selection. He also has three other picks here early on in this draft, one at the end of round one and two at the top of round two, continuing the offseason retool for his roster ahead of the 2021 season. Coach Rubier, welcome to Goal Line Extended. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Coach, I've been I've been talking with some of the, the league's other head coaches this week. Last week as well, we had Coach Towers on to talk about his team for last uh, for last Tuesday's show. We had him on. But, like, take Coach Towers, for instance, head coach of the chaos. I'm like, you're having such a busy offseason between the one trade you made, the entry draft, the waiver wire, which he hasn't even yet utilized. Now the college draft, you have six picks, or he has six picks, I should say, in the college draft. But one you look at what you've been scheming up this offseason. It doesn't even compare. Back in early February, you sent attackman Rob Pinnell, your third overall pick in last year's entry draft, to the Redwoods in return for the third overall pick in this year's entry draft, which you used on attackman Dan Bucaro. And you also got a second-round pick in next year's college draft. Then days before the protected rushes were due, you sent midfielder Paul Rabel in the sixth overall pick in this year's entry draft to the Cannons for a pretty hefty return, the ninth overall pick. In the entry draft, you got defenseman Michael Rexrode with that pick, the eighth overall pick in tonight's college draft, and then the Cannons' first-round pick in next year's college draft. And then that was not the end. Two days after protected rosters were submitted, you send Ryan Brown to the uh, Water Dogs for another pick in tonight's college draft, this one at 11 overall. We coined the term retool here at Flash to describe some of these moves you made this offseason. Certainly not a rebuild, but you look at the three names that you moved. Those are pretty prominent names in the world of lacrosse, especially – those two veterans, but how early on into the offseason did you know that changes were probably going to be uh, start being made looking ahead to 2021? Uh, good, good question. I, I mean, look, this is this has been a process. I did not have a master plan going into this thing. I, I frankly just felt like we didn't play to the level that we wanted to play at. And I think those guys would feel the same way. And so anyway, I didn't feel like the pieces were working. I knew that we needed to we need to mix it up. Um, so that's what we've done. And, you know, it, it obviously there is there is still some things that are unsure in that, you know, we don't know exactly who's going to be available in this draft, who we're going to be able to take. But um, but, you know, I, I think that I think that we are making changes because if we don't make changes, I don't know how we can expect a different result. Um, it, it was it was two seasons finishing towards the bottom of the league. So we needed to make changes, and we have made changes. Change oftentimes does result in good results. So we'll see here as you continue this uh, to, to build this team here in, in this offseason. One of those players that you uh, have already brought in by way of this entry draft, I mentioned his name before, attackman Dan Bucaro. You used that third overall pick you got from the Redwoods to select him, the 2020 MLO Rookie of the Year at the MLO bubble. You also drafted attackman Brendan Sunday in the third round and brought in attackman Mark Cockerton through the waivers, obviously considering the plan for tonight's draft, holding that first overall pick and then factoring in who you take, what's the plan in using those three guys on your tack? So I think, um, I, I think that it is going to be a process to see how these pieces fit together. I will say what I like about, you know, what I like about, let's take Brendan Sunday, for example, guy has experience playing midfield. I coached against him when he was playing midfield, um, 
for the for the Blaze. He played it in in college as well. I mean, I think there's some versatility there. Uh, Mark Cockerton is a guy that I think is underrated with the ball and a stick. I think is extremely good, kind of playing off ball and uh, and does a really nice job there. And um, and so anyway, I think that we have some flexibility here. I think that we needed to balance the field more. The sense that I got last year was, look, I think Rob Pinnell has earned the right as maybe the best attackman over the last decade. But he and Eric Law were kind of banging up against each other and that they were playing the same spot. We had we had um we had Ryan Brown kind of playing more of a lefty role. It just for whatever reason, you know, it was imbalanced. So as I think about these guys that we picked up, what we're trying to do is create a little bit more balance on the field. I think we needed more of a lefty presence on our offense. That's why we've gone out and gotten some lefties. I think Chris Cloutier has done a um done a wonderful job. I mean, he he uh he got me my first win in the PLL. He had a huge end to that Water Dogs game and uh and he's a guy that I think um that has played his best in big moments. So, anyway, I think we have some pieces. I think we got to see how these pieces fit together. I think it's why it's nice that we have a nice long extended um uh training camp here to kind of see how it all works. A nice extended training camp. And then unlike last season in, in that quick uh, bubble tournament, you have a whole season to uh, hopefully try to get things working together as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. The Atlas attack set to look much different here in 2021. Your midfield as well should feature some new faces, whether you use one or two of those early draft picks tonight. That is something we will wait to be seen. But after the entry draft, you sent your fourth round pick in next year's college draft to the Cannons for Brent Adams, really one of the few true two-way guys in this league. And his impact fell on both ends of the field in the transition game. How are you planning on using him and his speed along with some of the other guys you have to play in transition? Yeah, I, I think that I, I think having team speed is a great thing. I, I think that that was kind of the first thing that jumps off the page. I mean, as a guy who's playing on a shorter field, than uh, than than colleges play on than the MLL played on, it is it is really important I think to be able to create transition and to be able to stop transition. He's a guy that's able to kind of you know play in a number of different ways, whether it's going D to O, O to D, um, to create his own, to play good defense. He's an experienced vet. Um, it gives us depth. Um, I, I think you can never have enough two way guys. And uh, anyway, I thought it was a pretty low price to play to pay for a guy that. Um, has has been extremely productive in this league and for a long time in pro lacrosse. Adams, a, a pretty low price that you did pay a fourth round pick in next year's college draft to bring in Brent Adams. He's set to add a new element to this Atlas team. Again, one of the fastest guys in the league. He'll be uh, suiting up in Atlas blue for you in 2021. As I mentioned before, some additions on the defensive end made through this offseason as well. Michael Rexrode drafted at the top of the second round in the entry draft. Andrew Newbold, you took him later in that second round. And then LSM Kyle Pless brought in through the waivers and possibly another poll set to come in tonight in this college draft. But with the guys you have down there on the defensive end already, what's the plan in integrating these new guys into what's going to be a whole new game plan with a new defensive coordinator set to come in? Yeah, I, I think that, I think a couple things. I think that we haven't played as a unit yet. And, you know, I think that I think that we have an opportunity here to come together as a unit and to really play as a group. Um, we battled some injuries last year, specifically um, at our defensive midfield. Um, now, those guys are warriors. I don't think a lot of guys even noticed that we were necessarily banged up playing playing at the defensive midfield. Um, so anyway, I think to add some depth there as uh, as a way to just be prepared for what I believe is the toughest position to play on the field is going to be really important. 
I then think it's, I think we have some guys that have done some great job covering guys one-on-one, but I think that we got to play more as a group. Um, I, I think that that's kind of our focus. Um, we've gone out and gotten some, some guys, not only to help us in training camp, but guys that we think are, are, are great off ball, good communicators. And anyway, I hope that it will help us gel down on that end and, uh, and, and time will tell to see if we can do it. Rex Road, Newbold, and Plus set to join Tucker Durkin, Cade Van Rapport, Austin Bafani, and Craig Chick down on the Atlas defense. And then you have these four picks in the college draft, four of the first 11 picks of this draft. You have a chance to cap off what has been a big offseason for you and your team, but it starts with pick number one, and you have the freedom to pick whoever you want on this board. And we think we have a pretty good idea of what you're thinking here. Duke's Michael Sowers, we got our last glimpse of him before this draft on Thursday night as his team roared back to take down Notre Dame. Sowers scoring four goals and an assist, two of those goals coming in the final 40 seconds of regulation, down by two, then the assist coming on the game winner in OT. Cornell's Jeff Teat, the top pick in the 2020 NLL entry draft, the other name that we have pegged to go towards the top of this draft. He has not played this season as Cornell has unfortunately not played any games, but looking forward to seeing him this summer. And then the other name we were watching, the likely Tawarton winner this season, Jared Bernhardt, but he's planning on playing football this fall, so expecting him to get selected at some point, but slipping in this draft. But some other names on the board, we'll get to them in a second because it looks like one of these two guys, Sowers or Teat, will be the name called first. When it comes to Sowers, what excites you about his play and then looking at his entire body of work over these last five years? And then for Teat, we haven't gotten a chance to watch him play this season due to that Ivy League cancellation of the season due to COVID. How have you evaluated him ahead of this draft in relation to the other guys set to go at the top of this draft, including Sowers that have a full season here of film of experience under their belt? Yeah, I, I mean, some incredible players out there, and you named three, and it goes obviously deeper than that. I will say I think it was on full display last night with Michael Sowers, um, what he can do for a team. He's extremely quick. Um, he puts so much pressure on a defense. He has great vision. Um, the points speak for themselves. And, uh, and you know, I think, um, I think he's playing at an extremely high level, and – He's going through what has to be difficult, which is going into a different offensive system. And uh, and I think you can see him beginning to click. So anyway, what a talent, what speed, what vision. Um, and I think there's a reason that he's put up just, you know, an astronomical number of points throughout his college career. Um, so anyway, I think he's a fantastic player. And the same goes with Jeff Teat. And Jeff Teat, I think it is certainly we do not have any film from this year. Uh, but as I look over the kind of the body of work, um, be it in box, be it for Brampton, be it for Team Canada in the World Championships, be it for Cornell, the guy's gotten it done um, at every level and in every way you can. And I think he's got a versity, versatility to his game where he can play off ball, he can have the ball in a stick, he can be a feeder, he can be a shooter. So um, I think a really, really well-rounded player. And um, and And yeah. I do think it'll come down to one of those two guys. I mentioned uh, Michael Sowers' body of work. I should have brought up Jeff Teets as well. His is is, is huge as well, uh, you know, large up and down the board. We won't speculate any further as to what Coach Rubio will be doing with that selection. He, we will wait uh, for tonight to see who he adds here first overall. But then to stick around after this interview because myself and Austin Owens and possibly more analysts joining us, not 100% sure yet, but we will be debating this topic as well as some of the other top picks of this draft in our flash mock draft as our goal line extended special rolls on. But let's take a look at these other three picks you have early on in this one. You select at the end of round uh, 
on the round one at eight overall. And then the Cannons will pick at nine to start the second round. And you will be back following Coach Quirk with back-to-back selections at 10 and 11. Looking at least at eight, you want to make sure you get the guy that you think Coach Quirk will probably grab if you leave him there. Hopefully the other guys you're considering will make it through that one pick and be available again at 10 and 11. But over these three picks, what do you plan on addressing? There should be a poll or two that might slide to eight of the big three that we've been keeping our eyes on in Connors, Giles, Harris, and Keelty. I imagine most of those middies make it out of the first round. So a choice among those talented guys, maybe even a Mac O'Keefe as a shooter, Connor Curse, Doc Zakin, Trey LeClaire, some of those midfielder names. Should be a lot of options. What do you plan on addressing? That's a good question. I, I think... Um... You know, num- number one is a much different animal than number eight is in that we have no idea who's going to kind of fall to that spot. Um, I think uh, I think that is the nature of a draft. I think that's what makes it exciting. I think that's why you have a plan going into it. I think, um, look, I, I think that there is a little bit of game gamesmanship that goes on in this in that we have one pick in between when we have another two picks. And uh, and so anyway, I've spent some time looking at kind of the Cannons roster where I think they might be trying to address, you know, their different needs. And uh, and I think that is going to influence the order in which we pick. I have no idea. You know, I I feel like I have a pretty good grasp one through four of kind of who's going to be going, uh, whether it's in talks with other coaches or just kind of, you know, what rosters look like. Um, Once it gets beyond that, I don't know what guys are going to take. So I think what we really have to do is if we're assuming we we have a pretty good idea of one through four, you got to have at least a pick that would cover five, six, seven, have four guys lined up um, in in order to get yourself through round one um, and then hopefully be able to, to recollect ourselves and then again go through that similar process. Have three guys lined up for the next three picks, understanding that the cannons might take one of them and you can take the next two guys. So that's kind of how we're approaching it. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think, I think as we go, you know, I I think it's probably a, we'll probably be taking an attackman with the number one spot. Then you got, um, you know, we, then you got kind of the middle of the field and defensively that we want to make sure that we have as much depth as we possibly can. Four picks here and 11 selections along with the additions made in the entry draft and off the waiver wire and pick 17 at the top of round three. Another very nice selection and then 26 at the top of round four. Coach Ruby and the Atlas set to welcome a lot of new faces to training camp this summer. Coach, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. An absolute pleasure having you on the show as you get set for uh, your first overall selection in tonight's draft. But before I let you go, a season to forget for you and your team in 2020. Not the greatest showing, as you mentioned before at the PLO bubble. But as we've been saying, a lot of new faces set to join this squad. But you look at the schedule and how it's formatted with the two games in one weekend happening twice for each team. For you, it will be in week three and in week seven. How do you expect last season's tournament format to benefit you and your team in terms of how you prepare for these long weekends? I think um, I think that I think that the guys that experienced it understand how difficult it is, uh, you know, how important it is to take care of their bodies. I think that, I think that it's kind of nice though. I think guys enjoy it. I think, you know, it is certainly physically difficult, but in terms of, you know, being sharp, feeling like you're ready and prepared to play a game, I think it's an exciting thing for these guys. And, uh, you know, a lot of our guys have had Memorial day experience. I don't think it's that different than playing in the final four. And I think we need to treat it with a similar attitude in that those are important weekends that I think can really change a season and the direction that it's heading.
definitely got to keep that in mind as all the new names coming onto your roster. Some of them did not play in the PLL last season, so they, they uh, did not experience that tournament. So we will see them this season in their first uh, year in the PLL. Very excited for that. Coach, I want to thank you so much again for joining me, the head coach of the PLL's Atlas Lacrosse Club, looking to uh, looking to get after here in 2021 on the heels of a major retool this offseason. That, that will uh, conclude tonight. Coach, thank you again. Good luck in tonight's draft. We'll be right back with our college draft flash mock draft. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back to Goal Line Extended, Monday, April 26th. Just finished up a fantastic interview with Atlas head coach Ben Rubier as he's currently on the clock with the first overall pick in tonight's PLL college draft and holding four selections in the first 11. We'll wait and see how he utilizes those. But Austin Owens, welcome back to GLE as we continue to look ahead to tonight. Four rounds, 32 players set to join the league. And it's already difficult to try to predict who these teams are uh, looking to take or trying to take, even after talking to five of these head coaches. But early in the draft, we think we have a beat on it. But as I've said before, and I'll say it again, whatever you expect to happen, the opposite will probably happen with the PLO. We'll see if that holds true tonight. But to wrap up today's college draft special, Austin and I are going to be presenting our flash mock draft, our team mock draft, as we continue to look ahead to tonight's draft. We did a two-round mock to keep things simpler and frankly it seems impossible to try to figure out who or what these teams will take come the end of the third round and into the fourth and you can probably say the same about the end of the first and second as well to be completely honest but we keep this uh we kept this to two rounds we're going to run through it right now and highlight some of the picks as we move along but just like in our flash mock draft ahead of the entry draft each flash staffer got assigned a team for the most part the same team from in march but we're going to run through it right now i'll save the time we've discussed it over the past few weeks we'll probably be discussing it not just this season but over the next few years as these guys each play out their respective careers but we're not having that discussion right now i'm saving the time i like out i like uh sours at one you're selecting here for the atlas in this mock you have sours at one however everyone seems to have jeff t here in the last week or so but in this mock we have sours at one selection made by you mr austin and then our buddy pat gregoire selecting for the water dogs he takes Jeff T, there we go. Sum that up nicely. Let's move to uh, Liam Kelly's selection here for Chrome at three. He's going with Ryan Tarafenko, a guy that can fill multiple roles here in the midfield uh, and act as a backup faceoff specialist for Connor Farrell. What do you like about this pick here for Liam uh, or by Liam for Chrome? Oh, a lot of things. I mean, I think when you look at it, uh, it's just a perfect pick, honestly. Um, it might not be the sexiest pick to people. They might be thinking that they go up and get an offensive guy. I think Bernhardt changes everything around a little bit. But when you look at it, I mean, Tarafenko, like you said, he, he can back up Connor Farrell. They don't have to dress another face-off guy. I know they had Hunter Forbes in there last year. Um, he can do everything for you. They need a short-stick defensive midfielder because um, I think the guys in there are okay, but I think they need that guy that's sort of the next level, and Tarafenko is that. And then he can also push transition, and I think – the one thing that Tim Sudan talked about with you, I know for sure, is that they needed to get younger in the midfield. And, you know, Ned Crotty, Jordan McIntosh, and John Rannigan are all extremely world-class players. 
but they're getting up there in age. They're all into their 30s, so that's when they're not they're not 38 or anything. They're all under 35. But I believe Karate's 34, yep. McIntosh is 31, Rannigan's 29. So they're not all oh, under 30. I just yeah. generalized. Can't 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 generalized. Yeah. But once you get up towards that 30 number and over it, obviously this talk starts about how many years you got left, even though these guys probably all have another good five seasons, maybe Crotty a little less, but I think Mac and uh, Mac and Rannigan definitely have a couple more years left in them for sure. But Terrafanko just, he's the perfect fit, I think, for Sudan. And I think he's perfect for what they're trying to accomplish. And I think that's exactly what they need at this point is that guy that can do everything and fill a bunch of different needs for you. I believe I saw over the weekend that the Water Dogs did add back Hunter Forbes. They He was on the team over the, the 2020 Championship Series. However, he wasn't on their roster, and he no nothing in the transactions there for the Water yeah. Dogs. But it does appear that Hunter Forbes is back on the Water Dogs roster, So some hmm. or uh, on the Chrome roster, I mean. Okay. Did I get that wrong there? I meant, all right, so there we go. <laughs> Might be breaking news there as I just broke it down, but I got it wrong there in my head. Water Dogs, Hunter Forbes was with the Water Dogs last season. Now it looks like he might be with Chrome. I believe I saw that over the weekend. Might be wrong, though. Let's no, move on. George Johnson here selecting for the Redwoods at four. And like Pat, only has one selection in our mock as they only have one pick in the first two rounds. Easy decision, TD Erland, to make them one of the best teams at the position. Let's look to Dan Arresti's pick at five for the Archers. He takes Jared Connors, LSM, out of Virginia. What do you like about his pick? Another defensive addition by Chris Bates and a guy that I and a few others have as a top player in this draft. I mean, <laughs> what's not to like about Jared Connors? Um, he's an offensive monster. He can push transition. He can hold his own in his defensive end. You don't even need him if you're the Archers. We've talked at end about how good this team is, and here we go. Let's Charles Harris bump before I get on all the other names. Um, Graham Hosick, Warren Jeffrey on top of uh, McMahon and Gobrecht. Like, the, the defensive unit doesn't need another pull, but at the same time, you're not going to say no to Jared Connors and Scott Ratliff running transition. So <laughs> it's the perfect fit for me. And you, you bring in Dan talked about it when he was on with you as well. Just he could be an all-star this year. And he's the only guy he could say that about. And you're not passing on that with your pick. If another guy that you think is going to be there, went, you take the best guy available and that's Connors in this position. Mackie Jenner. She's selecting at six for the chaos with a few pulls and midfielders still around. She takes the second Duke player off the board, defenseman JT Giles Harris to help add depth defensively along with Matt Reese and Johnny Surtick returning in the defending champion Whipsnakes selecting at seven overall. And this is my selection here in our mock draft. I like the Whipsnakes taking Mac O'Keefe. I feel like there's a lot of different ways that he can fit in on that team and make a difference playing alongside the last two league MVPs. But that's all considering that Connor Curse is off the board by the time Coach Dagnita selects at seven. So I like Cursed with that, with uh, what I have available. If Connors falls, he's mine as well. But I will go Cursed here at seven since he does fall uh, to the Whipsnakes. You're back in the clock here with the Atlas at eight, 10, and 11, with Noah selecting for the Cannons at nine. At eight, you take Jack Keelty, the second defenseman off the board in the and the third of those three uh, top holes at the top of this draft. Noah follows you by going with Trey LeClaire, and you answer by continuing to load up offensively with Doc Aiken and Ryan Tierney. We talked about Tierney climbing up the board. We have him as high as 11. What does he add to this Atlas offense? Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna just skew through all those picks really quick, if you don't mind. Like Jack, Jack Kielty, I think you, you, add your, you add your attackman on the top. I think Jack Kielty's proven in the ACC this year. 
that he can go in and be that guy and be a guy that can cover a Michael Sowers. He can be put on an island and trusted. So I think him with Tucker Durkin and Cade Van Raphorst, I think is going to be a really good trio, especially since you've lost Hartzell and you've lost uh, Callum Robinson this year. Not lost, but they were let go. Um, Trey LeClaire, we, we talked about him earlier. He's an absolute killer from distance. He's going to be unreal with that Cannons offense. And I said earlier that they sort of needed that midfielder to replace the punch that Brad Adam, Brent Adams brought. Not exactly in the two-way game. Obviously, he'd be running out of the box, but Trey LeClaire is going to be an absolute stud in that Cannons offense. I, I just imagine Lyle Thompson dodging from X, drawing a slide. And then feeding it to Trey Leclerc for a two bomb. Like that's that's a scary premise. Um, and my my two picks, I mean, you can't really go wrong with any combination of players at 10 and 11. Docs and Ryan Tierney were the top two on my board. Um, I mean, Docs just he was a top five player in last year's draft. And I think the football thing and the 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 slow start sort of slowed down his momentum to be a top pick in this draft, but he's been a stud this year. He can sort of fill that Busek role like I was talking. He can go uh north south and get to the net and shoot when he needs to. And he's shown that he can dodge and score from the alleys and do everything you need to. So Tierney is a bit of an interesting one. I, I just think you take a chance with him here, not exactly knowing what he'll be at the next level. He's going to be a good player. We know that. Um, but we don't know what role he's going to fill. He can play out of the box. He can play attack. It's sort of, I don't know what he's going to be in a sense of what he's going to do in Atlas. Cause they have Dan Vaccaro. They've got a couple guys that they can sort of play in that hybrid role. So it sort of just depends on how you want to deploy him, but I think he was made the most sense here, um, just where I was in the draft. Liam selects again here for Crum at 12 overall. He takes Denver midfielder Jack Hanna to add another midfielder offensively, more depth to an already deep group, as we were talking about there with the aging midfielders there. I don't want to get anybody mad at me, but the guys getting into their 30s there for Crum. Yeah. And Dan is up again at 13 for the Archers, who missed out on TD at 5. He has Bates selecting Kyle Gallagher, a Notre Dame transfer in Penn graduate to add another face-off specialist to what is right now a short list. Mackie's up again at 14 and 15. She takes Jake Carraway and Mac O'Keefe, two guys that I think you could say fell a few spots. Steals for her towards the end of this draft for this Chaos team that could add a few more offensive weapons ahead of this season. And then talking about Chaos guys, uh, Mac O'Keefe, probably the closest thing to a Canadian without actually having that passport. But what do you like about the Chaos possibly adding these two guys again? Likely that one of them is gone by the time Andy Tower selects here. Miss Mackey goes ahead and knocks it out of the goddamn park in this mock. Um, Caraway O'Keefe, Giles Harris, studs, all of them. And the only reason I have uh, they, sorry, that we have Caraway over O'Keefe was just, he slid a little bit. I think what we talked about is he's sort of one of those guys that could go in the top 10. He could go where he is in this mock draft. Uh, <laughs> there's not much to say about Caraway. I think, one of the guys that we had sort of talked about internally that we think chaos would look at is Tanner cook as well from uh, UNC, just because I think he'd be really good on inverts and chaos sort of plays as Dan put it very well in a positionless offense. You could have a Dane Smith playing attack. You could have a Josh Byrne running out of the box. Like it, that's, that's less of a proper example, but you know what I mean? Um, I think Caraway could do a whole bunch of different things. He could, he can go from up top and get his shot and he can create his own shot, which is such a big thing with this chaos offense is just being able to create separation, especially in their two man game that they run. <laughs> and then I don't think there's a better guy to talk about with the two way game than Mac O'Keefe. Uh, you set him on a pick and roll or get him to fade off the pick and just have his hands free. You saw, you saw in this game this weekend, 
he drew three guys. He had a step down opportunity, and he drew three poles off of him, and then dished back. Everybody over. was running his way. What? That's I, not gonna I happen. That's credit, though. that's credit to the Penn State. Those three Penn State defenders, like they were all like, "Yeah, I'm selling out." Like, there's no way we're just gonna watch this guy bury a shot on us from uh. The, the guy has what 218 goals. I don't blame him. Um, but I. I just said before you started talking, that's not going to happen in the PLL, and make sure to no, clip this no when he no does chance. the exact same thing in the PLL in a couple of months. His first game, he's going to draw a three-man slide, and I'll look like an idiot. But, I mean, it is what it is. Um, but what more can you say about him? He's the NCAA goal king. He's going to score a ridiculous amount in the PLL if he's given the right opportunity, and that's the thing is he has to be in the right situation, I think, in order to succeed. And I think chaos really gives him that opportunity. He plays – that box style. Uh, I think the summer, I don't remember what summer it is off the top of my head, but he played with the Orangeville Northmen up in Ontario. And for anybody that doesn't know about the Orangeville Northmen, they are kind of, I kind of equate them to sort of what RIT is. Like if you play for Orangeville, you're going to be a pro lacrosse player and you're going to be a good one. Um, So (laughs) maybe not the best example, but that's sort of the best field equivalent I can sort of put to it. Um, Yeah. Mac O'Keefe's going to be a stud. Uh, there's nothing else I can really say about it to, that anybody else hasn't already said. He's going to flourish in the PLL. <laughs> it just depends on, it's not how he's going to do it, it's how many goals he's going to put up. Caraway and O'Keefe there, taken by Mackey for the chaos at the end of round two. I also like Gibson Smith, if he's available, uh, yeah. a for, or not a former, but he will be a former uh, Georgetown defenseman. Uh, Jack Rowlett right now is a volunteer assistant there at Georgetown, so that connection there with the chaos. I have the final pick of this two-round mock for the Whip Snakes, and the primary reason why I passed on Jack Kielty there at seven and took Kirst is because I didn't think Kirst would fall. That's that's probably the first thing. Um, and then the second, I expect Maryland defenseman Nick Grill to be around here at the end of round two, even with Gibson Smith on the board, as we just mentioned his name. But uh, Nick Grill, that's a fifth former Maryland pole to play alongside a few former Maryland midfielders, a few attackmen as well, and then in front of former Maryland goalie Kyle Burnler. So I have Kirst at seven and then Nick Grill at 16 for the Whip Snakes. And that's pretty much going to wrap up here our two round mock draft as well as our college draft special here on GLE. I hope you all enjoyed as we look ahead to tonight's draft. Make sure to follow the Cross Flash on Instagram and Twitter for all the latest. Subscribe to this show if you aren't already on whatever platform you are using to watch or listen. And we will be back on Friday to review this draft. And then we'll be looking back at this past weekend in college across and looking ahead to this weekend. The college draft is tonight, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on Peacock and on the NBC Sports Network. Make sure to tune in, uh, tune in as this will be one of the most loaded drafts in pro lacrosse history. We'll wait and see whether it is Duke's Michael Sowers or Cornell's Jeff T. That is the number one pick. But until then, I hope you all have a great day and week, and I hope you all enjoy the draft, and we will see you on Friday. Cheers. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at GL Extended and subscribe to the show on any of your favorite podcast outlets. You can find Lacrosse Flash on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and online at lacrosseflash.com.